Again, let me uh, welcome you all here, especially if you're visiting for the first time. Again, for all of you watching online, we're grateful you're with us. Maybe you're listening on the radio. We're glad you're there. And then for those of you that are over in the venue, it was good to be over with you for a few moments. Got to meet uh, a few new people over there. And thank you, uh, Pastor Jared and Pastor Joel and everybody that serves over there and, and makes that a, a, a unique um, a unique gathering. Uh, if you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 3. Okay, Romans chapter 3. If... Um, you don't own a Bible. One of the things that we do here at Big Valley Grace um, is we give out lots of Bibles for free. And uh, a church, one of the things that makes a church a unique thing is that we are a place that is called to be the pillar and the support of the truth. It's, it's the church that is um, called by God, if you will, to put the spotlight on the Word of God. Paul is writing to a young preacher named Timothy, and in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he talks about one of the roles of the church, you, me, is that we are to be the, the pillars and the, the support, the foundation of the truth. And so one of the things that we do here is we give out lots and lots and lots and lots of Bibles. And if you're here and you don't own a Bible, all you have to do is go into the altar room after our gathering. There's an altar room over in the venue, and we'd love to put one in your hand. Or maybe you're watching online, just come down to the church on Monday, and we will give you one. Now, you can't go in there and say, hey, can I get one for Uncle Joe and Aunt Betty and my two neighbors down the road and, and all of that. No, it's for you personally, okay? And if you want to invite your Uncle Joe or your Aunt Betty or your neighbor down the road to come, we'd love to give them a Bible uh, also. But these are available to all of you. But if you don't have a Bible here today, all of the verses I think are in your program or they're going to come up on the Jumbotrons. They'll even come up on your computer screen um, at, at home, but let me also just say quickly thank you to all of, all of you that helped make the father-daughter uh, banquet uh, just a, a total win. Uh, yes, the church has pastors and staff who uh, they do this for their for their living. This, this is their vocation, but there's no way that the church can do all that it does just you know because there's some paid pastors. All of us that name the name of Christ, this is your church, we come together and uh, make some of the things that we do here happen. And the father-daughter event doesn't happen unless all of us are praying for it. And I know many of you were. Many of you were down here uh, serving. I would walk through and just see the tables being set up. And I'm just grateful for a church that um, isn't just into the word of God, but we understand the responsibility to be doers of the word, not, not just hearers of it. And man, it was just neat to see how many people serve around this place just on a given week. It's crazy, thousands of people. But then you get to an event like that and it becomes even more critical. And so thank you to all who served uh, to make that a, a hit in a win. 
If you're visiting with us, uh, one of the things that we do here at Big Valley Grace is we always show uh, what we call a not ashamed video, where uh, we just pick somebody in our, our church family and just kind of document a little piece of their life. And this past week was kind of unique in that it was uh, See You at the Poll Day, uh, uh, National See You at the Poll Day, which is basically high school students, junior high students who know Christ as their Savior meet up at their flagpoles before school, early in the morning, to pray. To pray for their teachers, pray for their administrators, uh, pray for the fellow you know, students, pray that revival might break out on their campuses or whatever it might be. And so we knew it was coming. We sent out a film crew. And this week's Not Ashamed video is about one of our students, and it kind of chronicles her see at the pole thing. So check this out. attending a Christian school for my whole life, it becomes a little bit harder to talk to people who may not be believers. When I first went to Bayer, I didn't know how to do it by myself. I would, you know, read my Bible, but I wouldn't talk to anyone about who Christ was, or I wouldn't, I wouldn't share my faith and my struggles, and I had no one to hold me accountable in this new place, in this new environment. I never really thought that I would come to, to the place that I am now. I helped lead See You at the Pole this year every year nationwide and just all over all kinds of schools. We hold See with the Pole, which is a meeting of um, the Body of Christ, just a group of believers that want to pray over their campus and their staff and just over our country as a whole. We gathered up around the flagpole and we sung a couple of songs. We, we just prayed together for the most part. And it can be nerve-wracking because everyone can see you. And you're praying and you're worshiping openly in front of these people that, that might judge you for it or might think differently of you because of it. As we continued praying, it was about probably 40 minutes that we were praying and worshiping. Other people came up and joined and they would ask like, oh, what is this? What are you guys doing? Why are there so many of you here? And, and we were able to interact with people who might not know Christ or might not know exactly what See You at the Pole is or what it's about. And um, we're just able to kind of be that salt and light that we're meant to be and called to be in Christ. It was just really encouraging for me that, that Big Valley just kind of split up and a bunch of the staff was able to attend several uh, See You at the Pole meetings. I know that uh, a lot of the students from Big Valley as well kind of gave up some of their, you know, mourning and they actually split up and came to many of our public school campuses. And then I'm pretty sure there was at least one or two at every school in Modesto. So it's just, it's encouraging to see that they want to keep pouring into us and keep loving on us. We're not meant to follow Christ by ourselves. That's not what we were called to do. In Acts 2, 42 through 47, um, it talks about how, how the apostles dedicated themselves to, to Christ. And they say that the believers were together and they had everything in common. And see with the pole is just a great time to see who the body of Christ is in your own environment, at your school, in the place that you go every single day for nine months out of the year. See with the pole is, is a great example of wanting to share the gospel and not being ashamed of Christ and who he is because we're publicly professing our love for God. We can't be ashamed of him and also follow him at the same time. They don't coincide, they don't make sense. High school can be hard and high school can be stressful 
and it's easy to lose track of Christ in the pressures and the distractions and, and everything that's going on. And it's important that we find our identity in Christ instead of finding our identity in the things of the world. My name is Sierra Douglas, and I am not ashamed of the gospel. You know, all of these videos always bring me joy. Just to see how the Lord is working in the lives of his people here at uh, Big Valley Grace. And um, there are some fantastic young people who are a part of Big Valley Grace. They're a part of the family of God that in a really crummy culture are really not ashamed. They're not ashamed to stand up and say, I'm a follower of, of Jesus Christ. That all happened on Wednesday, and on Wednesday, a friend of mine, uh, Jake Harless, uh, sent me a, uh, a picture of uh, his daughter, Eden. And Eden is a middle school student at uh, Savage Middle School. And so my little phone, you know, ping, goes off, and, and I pull the picture up, and I just sat there for a long time, but I was there 20 minutes or more just looking at this photograph that just captured my, my soul of one soul, one person who goes to her flagpole, one just one. And I happen to be an expert in adolescent behavior. And I can tell you the last thing that little Eden Harless wanted to do was be the only person standing at her flagpole. 90% of you as an adult wouldn't want to stick out like that. And here's a young gal who's been raised by some really great parents. And with their encouragement, you know, you might be the only one, sweetheart. But all it takes is one, one person. And I, I just, that, that picture just encouraged me. It just really blew my mind. So I called up dad. And I said, hey, Dad, why don't you talk it over with Mom? And man, I sure would love to have Eden in all of our services. You know, just that's another thing a junior high person just loves. <laughs> just come here and listen to the old guy, you know, three hours last night and tonight, next hour. But Eden, I want you to come up here. I want you to meet uh, uh, this family. Come on up here, Eden. Come on. Yeah, yeah, amen, 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 amen. <clears throat> you know, here's the deal, grab, grab a seat, Here, here's the deal, here's the deal. I, I was amazed, by the way, I didn't, I didn't say this last night, but now I figured after one night, you're an expert at this now, standing up in front of a lot of people here. 
But I can't believe. See, I knew your mother when she was your age. She was in my youth group. Okay. And I can, by the way, I can tell you stories about her because I'm sure she's told you just how perfect she was. Always did everything right. Yeah. See, when you're around a long time, you, you know all the, all the stories. You know all the things I can tell you about your mother. Anyway, it's weird how much you look like your mother. You're just absolutely beautiful. And I want you to know, as I told you last night, God used you to encourage me. And I know that God used you to encourage a whole lot of people, not just here, but my Facebook page blew up. And I know that people saw that picture and went, wow. A junior high girl can do that. What am I doing with my own life? Father, I just want to pray for my friend. I'm thankful, God, for her life. I'm thankful, God, that she has good parents who have taught her the things of God. They've raised her well. I'm glad that they encouraged her to go stand at a pole by herself. Lord, I pray that you would use her, not, not just at Savage Middle School, but that you would continue maybe to use her in just greater and greater ways. Lord, I'm glad she's not ashamed of the gospel. I look forward, God, to just seeing how you will continue to use her, because I know you're going to, God. And I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, thank my friend again. By the way, you, you know, you know, Andy's up here. He sings here all the time. That's, uh, that's Grandpa Andy Harless. And um, anyway, um, the uh, five verses that we're going to look at today are really, really unbelievable verses. They're, they're weighty verses. And uh, they're going to set up our time of communion, I think, in a beautiful way. I think it's also going to set up our time of, of, of giving an offering in a great way. In fact, when we're done here, you're going to understand the bread and the cup probably at a whole nother level. And you're going to understand why we ought to have great joy when we give our gifts to, to the Lord. And these five verses are, as I said, the, the highlight of the Bible not, not just the book of Romans, but the entire Bible. I, I always tell you that the most important chapters of the Bible to understand are Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Because if you don't understand the first three chapters of Genesis, if you don't understand the very first three chapters of the Bible, then the rest of the Word of God isn't going to make a whole lot of sense. In fact, if you don't understand Genesis 1, 2, and 3, then communion doesn't make a lot of sense. Holding the bread and the cup that remind us of the life and the death of Jesus doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless you understand Genesis 1, 2, and 3. But I do think that these five verses are the highlight of the Bible. Those are the most important verses. But the five verses we're going to look at today are 
the highlight of the verses in, uh, of, of the Bible. In fact, so much is said in these five verses that you could probably take all the sermons that have ever been preached over all the centuries on these five verses, and if you put them all together, they wouldn't even begin to scratch the surface of all that's contained within them. So, you know, the thought that somehow I'm going to make us all get it is, is kind of crazy in, in one message. But I do think that God's going to use it in all of our lives to set up a beautiful moment of communion. Martin Luther said, this is the chief point of the whole Bible. That's a pretty weighty statement from a godly man. Dr. Barnhouse said, this is the most important paragraph in all of Scripture. Why is that? Why would these two men make statements like that? Well, it's because it answers the most important question in life, and that is, how is a person saved from the wrath of God? How do we, as condemned sinners, escape divine judgment? How are things made right between us and God? Job, as he thought about the holiness and the righteousness of God, how awesome he was, how, how majestic he was, how holy he was, how righteous he was, how pure he was, asked this question. How can a mortal be righteous before God. In other words, God, because you're so great and you're so wonderful and you're so powerful and awesome, how could I ever be right with you? How can I ever stand in your presence? How could I ever hang out in heaven, if you will, with you? Once again, this is just the greatest question you could ever ask. Can sinful humans ever have a relationship with the one true living holy God? Is it possible for you? And I don't need to convince you that you're sinful. We've all said sinful things. We've all done sinful things. And we've all thought sinful things. We all know we're not holy. We're not righteous. And is it possible for us as human beings to have a relationship with God? And the answer is yes, it is possible. This is what our text is all about today. You see, Paul spent the first three chapters of Rome laying out the doctrine of, of sin, that every one of us has sinned. And because everyone has sinned, everybody stands guilty before God. We all stand condemned before God. In other words, God's wrath is hanging over all of our, our heads. In fact, I want you to look at the cover of our program for the first three months. It looked like that. 
Part one of Romans, we just entitled The Problem. And you can see a man standing before this gulf. Well, look at your program today. We've changed the program. It's no longer that. Now, we're in part two, which is the solution. We're now going to begin to look at the solution to the problem of sin. And there are five major parts of Romans, and so this will change three more times. But now, Paul is going to start to unpack the solution. Over in the venue, right up front, look at those golden trays. They're right down here in the back, right up here in the front. He has taken three chapters to tell us the problem. For three months, I've been talking about sin, 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 sin. It's been somewhat depressing. And it's supposed to be. Sin is not supposed to be a fun topic. Sin isn't supposed to be fun. It's a horrible thing. Caused great problems for all of us. And now Paul is going to begin to start to unpack the solution to the problem. This is a beautiful section of scriptures. I want you to know it's these five verses. The reason why we have a Protestant church today is because of these five verses. It's why there is a Protestant church. Let's read them together. Romans chapter 3, look at verse 21. But now... God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, without keeping the Ten Commandments as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard, Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. And he did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. The sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned. In times past. Now I want you to look at verse 21. I want to zero in there for just a moment. Look at verse 21. But now, and praise God for those two words. But now, God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. And as I said, this is a a major shift in in the book of Romans. This is the turning point in the book of Romans. Paul's now going to talk about salvation. 
He's going to talk about how you get right with God. And he basically shares nine truths about salvation. And beloved, every single one of them is just really weighty. Every single word is just really weighty. And all of them have to do with the bread and the cup. All of them. You are going to understand the bread and the cup, communion, at a whole nother level by the time we're done here. It's going to be a great time at the end. We're going to sing some great hymns of the faith, and we're going to celebrate what the bread and the cup mean, and then we're going to give God our gifts. So here we go. I want to fly through these, okay? Number one, truth number one. Salvation was God's idea. Look at verse 21 again. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him. The first thing I want you to notice about salvation is that it comes from God. It's God's plan. Salvation was God's idea. In other words, man didn't think it up. And because salvation was God's idea, nobody in this room can take credit for it. This was, this was God's idea. Salvation was his idea. Can't take credit for it. Dr. MacArthur said the supreme human tragedy is man's sin and only the one true living God can solve it. Only the perfectly righteous God himself can provide the righteousness that men, that human beings need to be acceptable. Here's the deal. If God doesn't come up with this idea, how we as sinful humans can be made right with him, all of us would still be lost. If God doesn't come up with this plan, this idea, we wouldn't be here today. There wouldn't be a thing called the church. This building would be empty. There wouldn't be anybody down at Calvary Chapel. There wouldn't be anybody down at Shelter Cove. There wouldn't be anybody downtown at Cross Point. There wouldn't be anybody at Mill Creek, Redemption Hill, Redeemer. There wouldn't be anybody in any churches if God doesn't come up with this idea. There'd be no reason for us to sing. There'd be no reason for us to do anything if God doesn't come up with this plan to save you. Now here's the deal. Man has tried over the years to come up with ways to make themselves right with God. In fact, the, the first man-made religion is found in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve blow it, they sin, sin enters into their being, if you will, and at that moment they recognize things have changed. Sin has impacted their lives, and it shows up in the fact that they notice that they're naked, and they were ashamed. And so, being good human beings, they said, okay, how do we fix this problem? I got it. We'll get some fig leaves. We'll sew them together, and we'll put them in all the right spots. That'll make us right before God. 
That'll take away the guilt. That'll take away the shame. I won't feel condemnation anymore. And for a while it worked until God showed up. That was man's first attempt at making himself righteous before God. Fig leaves. Here in the 21st century, the fig leaves are still out there. They just look differently. There's lots of ways that human beings try to make themselves right before God. And they even will work for a while. You'll even feel pretty good about yourself. The problem is there's going to come a moment like Adam and Eve where you're going to stand before God. And your fig leaves, whatever they might be, aren't going to work. God had a plan. In fact, you see it right there in the book of Genesis. Hey, your fig leaves don't work, but I'm going to handle this problem for you. And he kills an animal, doesn't he? Blood is shed right there in the garden so that God cannot give them fig leaves, but give them covering. And the only way you get that covering is through the shedding of blood. Even right there in the book of Genesis, you see it how this is all going to play itself out, that blood is going to be shed ultimately, just like it was in the garden. Truth number two, God's plan of salvation is unearned. It was God's idea, and it's unearned. Verse 21 goes on to say, but God now, but now God has shown us a way to be made right, Uh, with him without keeping the requirements of the law. And he's talking about the Ten Commandments. There was this idea that was birthed that somehow if if somebody could just keep the Ten Commandments, that would make them okay with God. That, hey, here's, here's why God must have given us the Ten Commandments. If we just keep them, if we live by them, that'll make us right with God. It, it was basically uh, another fig leaf. But God didn't give the Ten Commandments to make you right. Last week I told you God gave us the Ten Commandments for basically two reasons. And the first one was that God gave us the law that it would just make us aware of the fact that we were sinful. You see, now that we have the Ten Commandments, you know, don't have any other God before me, you know, don't make for yourself an idol, don't misuse the name of the Lord, make sure you keep one day holy and honor your parents. He gave us those ten things so we'd go, oh, man, fumble. You, You might be able to live some of them out perfectly, I've never committed murders. Maybe one of you, two of you, maybe you have. I never have, so I I got that one. I'm good. I'm 100% on that one. But I can tell you, I can go through the list and go, oops, oops. We can all get to number 10, and that's the one that goofs us all up. That was the one that really goofed Paul up. Don't envy Just be content with what you have. Don't look at what somebody else has and go, oh man, I wish I had. We all blow it there, don't we? 
You see, the point of the law was, yes, we ought to try to live by them. They're all good things. But the point was nobody could live them out perfectly 100% of the time. And it just, man, I'm, I'm goofed up. Yeah, God was saying, yeah, you're goofed up. The, the law just simply makes you realize you're breaking the law. The second reason why God gave us the law was that it would point us towards Christ. I shared with you last week, Galatians chapter 3, before this faith came, the faith that Paul's even talking about here in Romans, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by our faith. The point of the law was, you're all messed up. God loved us so much, he wanted us to recognize how goofed up we were. Not that somehow you could keep the law and that would make you right. It wasn't why God gave it. In verse 20 of Romans chapter 3, Paul says, no one will be declared righteous in his sight, God's sight, by observing the law, by keeping the Ten Commandments. Rather, through the law, we just become conscious of our sin. That's why the law was was given. You don't get to heaven by doing a bunch of good things. You don't get to heaven, things aren't made right by keeping the law. You don't get to heaven, you know, and everything's made right between you and God because you do everything, you know, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount or whatever. Paul says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. You're going to be holding the bread and the cup here in a little while. So God's plan to save you was was his idea. And it was unearned. Unearned. You didn't work for it. Truth number three. God's plan of salvation was taught in the Old Testament. This whole bread and cup thing that we're going to enjoy here in a moment was taught in the Old Testament. Verse 21, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. Here we go. As was promised in the writings of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you know. And all of the prophets, Ezekiel, Isaiah, you know, Malachi, pick pick one of them. The the phrase, the law and the prophets was was a common expression that encompassed all of the Old Testament. So what Paul was saying was that God's plan of salvation was actually spoken of or taught in the Old Testament. In other words, Paul wasn't revealing some new teaching that he'd thought up on his own, but that the Old Testament had actually backed it up. God's plan of salvation was his idea. It's unearned, and it was taught in the Old Testament. Remember what Jesus said to a bunch of Jewish rabbis in John chapter 5? He said, you diligently study the scriptures, and the only scriptures they were studying at that point were the Old Testament, the law, what the prophets had said. 
He said, you study these scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. In other words, you think that just because you have them or you study them or you memorize them, somehow that makes you golden. That makes you okay with God. These, Jesus says, the Old Testament are the scriptures that testify about me. And yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. Now, in the Old Testament, is the name Jesus used? No. Genesis 3, sin enters the world. And God now says, I'm going to send you a Messiah. I will send you a Savior. I'm going to send somebody who's going to take care of the problem of sin. I'll send the Messiah. I'll send the Savior. All throughout the Old Testament is this idea that God loved us and cared about us, and he was going to solve the problem of sin. It was going to be his idea, and now you get to the New Testament, and today in the town of David, uh, Savior has been born for you. We know his name. It was Jesus. He's the one who came. It was all taught in the Old Testament. When you look at the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, it taught that somebody was going to die for somebody else, didn't it? Think about it. The whole concept. I kill this and it's blood and it does something for somebody else. The message that you don't earn your way to heaven is taught throughout the whole Old Testament. And uh, next week, uh, Lord willing, and I know I said this this past week, we're, we're going to look at Abraham. Because Paul's going to get to chapter 4 and he's going to talk about Abraham and how he became friends with God. We're going to talk about King David and how he became a friend of God. We're going to use some, Paul's going to use some Old Testament characters as his illustration, if you will. Truth number four. God's plan of salvation comes through faith. Comes through faith. Verse 22 says, we are made right with God by doing a lot of really good things. We're made right with God when we're baptized. We're made right with God when we give an offering. We're made right with God when we go on a missions trip. We're made right with God because we become members of Big Valley Grace. We're made right with God because of these two things we're going to be holding in our hand here in about 10 minutes. By faith in Jesus Christ. Faith, faith, faith. The whole Christian life can be summed up in this one word. All other religions of the world have the idea of do and you'll be saved. But the Christian life says, no, it's believe. It's receive. It's have faith and you'll be saved. God's plan to save you from your sin has nothing to do with your good works. But it has everything to do with faith. And these are two very different things. 
God says, if you'll just believe and trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross, you'll be saved because my son will come into your heart and he'll live in your heart. And when he comes in and lives within you, he brings his righteousness with him. And by virtue of the fact that you have the righteousness of my son in you, that makes you righteous. You can't do enough good things to make yourself righteous before God, and neither can I. Many times after a service, I'll meet people up front or I'll talk to them in the altar room or somewhere and I'll ask them if they're a believer. I'll ask them if they're a Christian and I often hear this, I'm trying. Beloved, Christianity is not about trying. It's about trusting. That's what it's about. Someone once said, being a Christian is like being pregnant. You either are or you aren't. I mean, it's one of the two. So God's plan of salvation was his idea. When you're holding that bread and cup, it's his idea. It was unearned and it was taught about in the Old Testament. The idea that the Savior would come and live a holy life and a righteous life and that would, he would shed his blood was taught in the Old Testament. And it comes through faith. Uh, truth number five God's plan of salvation is available to everyone. Verse 22b, uh, we are all made right with God by placing our faith in Christ Jesus. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. God's salvation is available to everyone, absolutely everybody. Liars, cheaters, thieves, robbers, murderers, rapists, child molesters, drug dealers, dopers, prostitutes, the sexually immoral, homosexuals, the self-righteous, the greedy, the proud, the selfish. God's salvation is available to everybody. In fact, I don't know if Pastor Rick is in the room, but Gordon is right back there. We all meet in the altar room to pray before Saturday night and Sunday morning. We're all in there praying. We break up. And a, a gal comes in, and I'm not going to embarrass her. She may be here right now. I don't want to embarrass her. But she comes into the altar room and meets up with Gordon and I. She was a prostitute, worked as a prostitute in our city for 22 or 23 years. She shows up here because she needs some food, goes out to our Good Sam ministry, and we give her food to eat. And while she's out there, God does something in her life immediately. The Holy Spirit invades her life. She feels guilt over what she's been doing for the last 22 years, which she should. And all of a sudden, boom, she gives her life to Christ out at the Good Sam building. And when we saw her in here, unbelievable just to hear her testimony of what God's doing in her life and what God has, has, has done through her already in like a week. It's crazy. And that's simply the power of God at work. And it doesn't matter what you've done. I don't care what you've done. I know some of you go, hey, pastor, you don't know anything about me. You don't know the crummy things I've done in my life. You don't know the crummy things I did last night. You're right, I don't. I don't know the crummy things you've done. It doesn't matter what the crummy things you, you've done are. It doesn't matter. I often say, listen, if I knew all the crummy things that you guys have done in your lives, I wouldn't want to preach to you. And if you knew all the crummy things I'd done, you, you wouldn't want to listen to me. That, that's, 
That's the deal. We're all goofed up. We're all messed up. God's salvation is available to everybody, but here's the deal. You must believe. You must have faith. That's the one condition. And let me quickly say this, and I need to say this, especially in light of where the church is in America in the 21st century. True saving faith will always be accompanied by good works or a transformed life. In other words, if you truly understand the problem that your sin brought to your life, if you really understand the condemnation that was hanging over your head, if you truly understand the fact that you couldn't fix the problem, that you were doomed, that you were a dead man or woman walking, and that it was only through a relationship with Jesus Christ, the fact that he would come and die for you, and that was the only way you were going to be made righteous before God, if you truly get that, your life will change. It'll change. There's going to be a lot of people who uh, said a prayer who aren't going to get in to heaven. Saying a prayer is okay. I said a prayer. But I know I'm saved, not because I said a prayer. I know I'm saved because my life has been transformed. You know, we're, we're going to take the bread and put it in us. We're going to take the cup and it goes in us. I know God is in me because of what's happened out of me. Listen, if you went into a room with, I don't know, you know, 10 people that were coughing and sneezing and hacking and the flu was in there and you were sucking it in, you're probably going to start hacking and sneezing yourself. You're going to get achy joints. You're not going to feel good. Why? Because you got the flu bug in you. Something happens when you get the flu bug in you. Something happens when you get Jesus in you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if the, you get the flu virus in you, it causes you to throw up or get achy muscles or whatever. You get Jesus in you, it's gonna, something's going to happen. Now, you're not going to live the faith out perfectly. Nobody does. I'm, I'm the chief goof-up of the church if you're visiting. <laughs> hey, some of you were here the day I got saved. You can remember those days. I don't always love the way I'm supposed to love. I don't always show compassion the way I'm supposed to show compassion. I don't always treat others the way I want to be treated. I, I fumble the ball so many times it's unbelievable. But I know I'm saved because those of you that were around when I got saved can look at my life today and go, wow, that, that's just not the same guy. You can testify to the fact that I've got Christ in me. And so yes, it's by faith we believe. But if you believe, really believe, something's gonna happen. Something. Let's 
So God's plan of salvation was his idea. It's, it, it's unearned. It was taught in the Old Testament. It comes through faith, and it's available to everybody. Uh, truth number six, God's plan of salvation is necessary. Verse 23, for everyone has sinned, everyone. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, bam! All these thousands of years later, we're all goofed up because of that one moment. All of us. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And God's standard is perfection. And nobody's going to stand up in here over in the venue or at home or listening on the radio and say, hey, I'm perfect. No, you're not. You've, you've thought sinful things, you've done evil things, and you've said evil things. We're all sinful. And the only way we're ever going to make it into heaven is we got to be perfect. Because if God were to allow you in the condition that you're in, sin full as you are into heaven, it would take about two minutes for heaven to be as goofed up as planet earth is. Because what's goofed up planet earth is sin. That's what's goofed up this planet. So God says, hey, look, you want in? The standard is perfection. I'm doomed. Yeah, that's why God had to come up with the plan. That's why it's unearned. It's taught about in the Old Testament. Everybody needs it. But here's the deal. I often say this, and I've said it, a, I don't even know how many times in the first section of our study of Romans. The Bible's messages were all evil, all of us. All of us are evil. There's nobody good, nobody good. I understand the idea that evil is somewhat subjective, okay? You're evil, but there are people that are more evil than you. Hitler, Manson, uh, 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 Jeffrey Dahmer, Scott Peterson, whoever it might be. Evil is somewhat of a relative thing, but we're all evil. Good, on the other hand, isn't subjective. God alone is good. Don't you think for a moment somehow you're good in and of yourself because you're not. Only God is good. He determines what is good. And when you invite Jesus Christ into your life, guess what? He makes you good. He does it because he's good. In and of yourself, you're not good. Now, your flesh doesn't like that. Your flesh, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm you know, evil. And so what we do is we tend to uh, compare ourselves to others. I get it. And so we sit at home or we hear things and go, well, I'm not as bad as that guy. Yeah, you're right. You're not as bad as that guy, but make no mistake about it. You're bad. And your evil is going to keep you out of heaven. Your evil is what separates you from God. So God's plan of salvation is absolutely necessary. Truth number seven God's plan of salvation is undeserved. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God freely and he graciously declares that we are righteous. Beloved, verse 24 is one of the most significant verses in all of the Bible. Imagine you're standing before a judge and you know you're 100% guilty. You know it. 
And the judge stands up. He's about ready to pass the verdict. He takes out his gavel, bangs it on the thing, man. Your knees are shaking. Oh, man, I'm guilty, man. And he looks at you and he says, not guilty. Not guilty. Acquitted. <laughs> You're looking around going, oh, you talking to me? I know I'm guilty. I know I'm goofed up. Oh, I may not be as sinful as Charlie Manson, but I, hey, I get it. I'm, 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 I'm messed up. Not guilty. Acquitted. This is called justification. God declares that those who have put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ are not guilty. He now looks at you just as if you'd never sinned. It's crazy. Bread in the cup. How'd this happen? Well, I want you to look at the word freely in your text. It literally means without a cause. In other words, you didn't do anything to earn God's salvation or deserve God's salvation. He simply justifies you freely without a cause. He simply made you righteous without a cause. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. It's just something that God does. He just does it. I remember my daughter years ago, Grace, had done something really mean to her little brother, Cade. And I happened to see it go down, and I went to her and said, hey, Gracie, what, why did you do that? Why were you so mean to your brother? And she looked at me and said, because. <laughs> now, I was expecting there to be a comma after that, and now she would explain it. But there was no comma. It was because, period. And I said, hey, Gracie, what, why did you do that? And once again, because. Now, one of the things I've found as I've studied the scriptures is that that's a theological truth. Sometimes God says, here's what I'm going to do, <laughs> period, just because. Well, I, I'm just doing it. I'm God, I'm sovereign. I did it because. He doesn't have to check in with us. Hey, you know, hey, Rick, you know, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? Got a, got a point? Got an opinion? Got a point of view on this? God simply does things at times just because, without a cause. Just does it. How many of you remember the book by Thomas Harris called I'm Okay, You're Okay? Probably a bunch of you, yeah. Seven million copies of that book was sold. I, I bought one of them. One of the dumbest, stupidest books you could ever want to. Seven million people bought it. Or maybe eight million. I, I don't know. But on the early uh, front covers of the book, it said this, quote, the transactional analysis breakthrough that's changing the consciousness and behavior of people who never before felt okay about themselves. Uh, and the whole premise was the book, of the book was to get you to the point of your life where you could look in a mirror and go, okay, I'm okay. I'm okay. Because most people felt like they're not okay. And so the whole thought of the book was, man, I'm gonna get you to the point where you look in the mirror and you're able to go, okay, I'm okay. 
stupid. Just really stupid. The whole thing was just really, really dumb. By the way, that's called transactional analysis. Beloved, the gospel says, you're not okay. And I'm not okay. But God loved us anyway and sent a son to make us okay. That should have been the title of the book. <laughs> you're not okay. And I'm not okay. But God had a plan. It was his plan. Talked about it throughout all the Old Testament scriptures. It was a plan about faith. Undeserved. And if you'd receive his son at that moment, not guilty, acquitted, you're now okay. Not because you duped yourself into thinking I'm okay. Hey, I'm okay. I'm okay now. I'm okay. You're okay. It's just, it's just craziness. The world is trying so hard to be okay because it knows it's not okay. Because of sin, we're not okay. Truth number eight, God's plan of salvation comes through a person. Verse 24, he did this, God made us right through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. God's salvation doesn't come through a religion or through a baptism or some ritual or through a bunch of do's and don'ts. It comes through the person, the person of Jesus Christ. Our salvation is made possible because of the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Now, what does the word redemption mean? It simply means to release by pain a ransom. In Rome, at the time that this was written, you could buy and sell slaves in the slave market, but to buy a slave, you had to redeem the slave. In other words, you had to pay something for the slave, and once you redeemed the slave, that slave was yours, and you could take that slave home, and you could put him to work or her to work, or you could say, I own you, I've redeemed you, and I'm going to set you free now. You're free. And this is what Jesus did for us. The Bible's clear. You were a slave to sin. You were a slave to your passions. You were a slave to your habits. You were a slave. And Jesus came and he paid a ransom to set you free. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Jesus Christ redeemed you at the cross. He bought your freedom. That's the price. When you're holding the bread and cup, it costs something to redeem you from, from being a slave to sin and a slave to your passions and your bad habits and all those kinds of things. And then it's sad that God had to put that last sentence up there. Therefore, honor God with your life. I mean, it just should have been normal that we'd go, wow, God had this plan, this idea. He's been talking about it throughout all of the ages. God redeemed me of my sin. It was God who did it all. And there just should be this normal, oh, man, I'm going to live for you. 
But God knew us. And he says, hey, because of that, would you use your one life to honor me? Honor me with your life. You see, the thing that motivates a believer isn't the fact that God's waiting to you know, flick us if we do something wrong or pound us. The motivating thing is what God has done for us. He did all that for me. Well, it's a no-brainer that I want to I wanna live for, for him. And truth number nine, and then we'll enjoy a moment of communion here is that God's plan of salvation came at a huge cost. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life. You see, you had to have more than just the bread. Shedding his blood. God offers his plan of salvation freely without a cause to anyone who would believe but make no mistake about it Christian it came at a high price the father sent his son here died horribly on a cross yeah it's free God offers it freely to anybody who would believe but don't think for a moment it's free. Came at a high, high price. You're not saved because of the life of Jesus. You're not saved because of the teachings of Jesus. You're not saved because of the example of Jesus. You're saved because of the blood of Jesus. God presented Jesus Christ, his son, as a sacrifice, a bloody sacrifice of atonement. It's the blood of Jesus that God accepts as the covering for your sin. It's the blood of Jesus that God accepts as the satisfaction for your sin. It's the blood of Jesus that God accepts as the payment for the penalty of your sin. It's the blood of Jesus that God accepts as the appeasement of his wrath against your sin. It's the blood. Second Corinthians chapter 2 says... God made him, that little piece of bread, who had no sin, holy, righteous, perfect, be sin for us, <laughs> so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That's just an incredible thought. I'm going to ask uh, all of our hosts and hostesses to come over in the venue when we start to sing here in a moment. You're going to walk forward, and uh, and together over in the venue and in here, we're going to uh, remember the life and the and the blood that was shed uh, for us to, together. And uh, Pastor Scott and I are going to lead us in one of the great hymns of the faith. But let me pray, Father. Thank you, Lord. That's your plan of salvation. It was your idea. It's unearned. It was taught in the Old Testament. It comes through faith. It's available to everybody. It's necessary because we've all sinned. It's totally undeserved. It's all about Jesus. And it came at a huge cost. And God, as we hold these simple things, a piece of bread, 
and a cup with some juice in it. May we just have a great time thinking about you. May there be great joy in our hearts. If there's sin that needs to be confessed, may we do it. Thanks, God, and I pray this in your name. Amen.